good to be here, everyone. The main reason why my wife is not here is because she gets to worship with the grandkids. That's important. I remember, I have grandkids that are now 18 and 15. They are now transitioning from cute to cool. They used to just love us to death. You know, when they come visit us, they would want candy and hugs. And now they come asking for my Wi-Fi password. So that's the transition. It's just a wonderful thing. Um, yes, we're going to talk about money, but I'm going to be a little more specific. But first things first, thank you for allowing me to be here. God bless you, Bridge. Alan was giving me some sort of down low on what's been happening over lately, and it's so exciting. By the way, this is an auditorium. I feel like I'm the opening act of Michael Bublé or Bubble. <laughs> I, seriously, it's like, hello. Yeah. Um, but this is just amazing. First things first, greetings from our Fellowship National Office. And the staff in particular, a nice warm hug from our president, Steve Jones. And, you know, um, the work that you do. It's a, you saw the construction going out there? What a potential. Yeah, Alan was sharing with me. Amazing, the work that you do with Bridge Kids and Bridge Youth and uh, Bridge Groups, making disciples, making disciples. Uh, you support the Pecs. Pecs or Peches? I'm never sure how to pronounce their last name from Cambodia. I, you know what, thank you. Okay, obviously the pastor doesn't know. I'm going to make it up. Pech. And uh, the Car Wars, who I know very well, who's serving in Indonesia, and then my good buddy and comrade in arms, uh, Richard Fleming, who also works at Fellowship National. And then, of course, you got Alan and Kathy, and you got the two Jonathans here, Jonathan Coos and Jonathan James. I've got to know them, and Michelle and Val and Gary and Dorothy putting and making sure this is a well-run machine. God bless you all, guys. Way to go, making God's name glorified and advancing the kingdom here in Whitby. First time here, but um, yeah, I know. First time here. What a shame, eh? Let's hope that that's not going to happen again. You bring me in here anytime. I'm willing to come by, even on a snowy day. So, my name is Gord Baptist. There you go. When I introduce my name, oftentimes I'll have people say, well, where is that church? Or, wow, actually there's three categories. Category one is, um, well, that's a good name. Category two is, how did you get that name? And category three is, well, that must open up some excellent experiences. And my answer is, yes, I was born this way, born this way and yes. And actually, I get to the point where I kind of get a little more creative. So some will say, oh, Gore Baptist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, we're thinking of changing our family name to community. And, uh, or it's like, yeah, you know, it's a lot easier to spell than Episcopalian. You know, things like that. Just to have some fun with the whole deal. But um, a bit about myself. Um, I came from business. I did not come from seminary. For 36 years, I had my own business in financial services with a company called Sun Life of Canada. Some of you may know that. And that's where I came from. And I spent my self-employed years as a financial advisor, as we say, helping secure my clients' standard of living now and in the future. And now I'm doing what's called an advancement director. And you may ask, well, what is an advancement director? What does that guy do? And basically, to the point, I raise funds. I raise funds for ministries for our fellowship advancing their missions. I raise funds helping our pastors and missionaries with their pension advisement and investment advisement to make sure that they have a secure or at least a reasonable or a livable retirement. I help provide support training to raise funds for our chaplains, newly appointed chaplains and missionaries and providing funds for our churches by overseeing something called our Fellowship Foundation. A little bit about that, this started in 2015, created to basically help connect, facilitate the financial resources of God's giving people to their ministry passions. And those passions can go and direct to various ministry departments and regions across Canada, and of course, a local church. Uh, this is either by giving directly through capital donations, bucks on the table, if you will. It can be investments. It can be fixed assets, tangible items. And then through legacy giving. 
what I call tithing through your will. And that's where our lunch and learn is going to be about this afternoon. If you want to know about wills and power of attorneys and what happens if you don't have a will, did you know that 50% of Canadians don't have a will? And the biggest benefactor, do you know who, the, who, who gets the biggest bucks? The government. God bless you. Praise the Lord. I see your hand. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's the government. So we're going to talk about that. Also provide something called estate planning to help kind of put all the pieces together. And we'll talk about that. And uh, what else? Through Advisors with Purpose. That's our affiliation. So that's great. Since I started, over seven years now, overseeing it, God has harvested now, to date, $10 million in pledges and legacy givings to our fellowship ministries. And through our investment provider, our foundation is supplying growth for our, those who have deposited our churches and investing churches and affiliates. And here's, what happening. here's what's happening right now. Uh, we're providing funds for them to go and provide residency for Ukraine refugees coming into Canada. We're providing funds to sponsor marginalized kids and youth to summer camp programs. We're sponsoring to provide support services for our women's in needs in our ministry shelters. This is just the tip of the iceberg. It's just starting, and it's so exciting. I work helping with FAIR, our fellowship. Oh, my goodness. Fellowship Advanced um, Relief Program, providing relief. I had a brain cramp. I'm sorry. I'm 68. My brain just shuts down. You ever had a computer crash on you? You just saw it happening now. It's rebooting what I'm talking right now. Fellowship Aid in International Relief, FAIR. And basically, what I do is I reach out to our churches and our supporters to provide funds for people in jail and in hospitals through chaplaincy, providing health care for our most remote areas, rescuing children and women. Right now we have a campaign going on, an appeal called Together for Freedom, where we're trying to rescue children that are being exploited in sex trades in the Philippines, and then also working in partnership with Bridge North. You may know them. They're just up the corner here on Newmarket, where they're helping to create opportunities and rehabilitate women out of prostitution because there is a massive, massive sex trade operation going along our 400 corridor highways all across from north and along from, uh, from uh, Montreal over to Windsor and all those communities in between, getting to reach out to rescue them, making disciples abroad and in our local churches and foreign missions as well. And every day I get to praise God for this. He called me into this serving him. I would not thought that here I am where I'm supposed to be retired and going out on golf trips and cruises and everything else. And God said, no, I got a plan for you. I'm going to orchestrate your steps and this is what I'm having you do. And he's given me, God, thank you, Lord. He's given me the capacity to still do this. And as long as I can, I'm in. I got my skin in the game on this. And I thank God for him because it glorifies him. I'm going to share you this morning a topic that is not a popular one to preach over the pulpit. My father, by the way, I'm a preacher's kid, as well as a preacher's dad, okay? They used me a lot in sermon illustrations, and they were never the good ones either, by the way. Never, 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 never. My father used to say to me in private, he said, if you ever want to preach a sermon that left the congregation guilt-ridden, all you had to preach on was parenting and tithing. In Chuck Swindoll's book, The Grace Awakening, he states that when it comes to the topic of giving over pulpits, he says, quote, you can almost hear the groans and feel the sighs from the congregation. He elaborates why, and he basically gives three reasons. First of all, he says, it seems terribly repetitive. We've heard this before. Or it's often too commercialized. It's pitched. There's a sales marketing style being done here. Or third, it's being perceived as possibly fulfilling a hidden agenda. I want to assure you that I have, what I have to share today would be a message that presents this from a different perspective. Not pitched, there is no agenda, and I trust would be a blessing and encouragement to you all. Before I do, can I pray? Is that all right? Yeah. Holy Father, I need you. Calm my spirit, articulate my words. Let me just, what I say, be pure truth, God, and glory and encouragement to you, Lord. And I just ask you now, orchestrate my steps and my lips, God, because I need you. 
which in holy name I do pray. Amen. I am a member of the Canadian Association of Gift Planners, affiliated with the Association of Fundraising Professionals. Now, these are organizations that assist those that are employed to generate donations to their hired non-profit organizations. <clears throat> Excuse me. Raising funds is huge business, and charities get a piece of that action in the form of a service fee or administration fee. According to Stats Canada, $10.6 billion in charitable receipts were submitted to, to Canadian taxpayers. Excuse me a moment. <clears throat> On average, oh my goodness, God, I've been asking to make sure my breath and my mouth complies. You'll have to bear with me a moment this morning, okay? <clears throat> Thank you. Sorry about that. On average, Canadians give 1.7 of their annual income going to nonprofit organizations. Major giving comes from the rich. 80% of foundations would not exist if it wasn't for the charitable giving of the upper 2 or 3% of income earners. Interesting enough also, people of faith, those that are active in their faith, which means you come to church or your place of worship once a week, give four times more than the average Canadian giver. That's according to the Center for Philanthropy. Now, fundraisers entice people in ways to give. And some of the ways are taught in the industry, and they are as follows. First of all, what I call under duress. They call it generosity by guilt. I'm not kidding, their words, not mine. Where they will actually provide feel guilt-driven to give, a form of shaming. You may experience this, particularly we just went through Christmas, where they show visions of people hungry, kids hungry, or people in need. And this is done while you're watching TV, maybe at supper hour. You know, and it's kind of like a trigger in that regards. Or let's say an organization or an employment, they have a campaign going on, maybe United Way or such. And there will be people that will come and, and try to encourage you, sometimes even shame you to give along with the others that are giving, or better yet, they'll go and say, well, Paul or Joan gave this much. What are you going to do about it? And they'll try to encourage them to kick it up a notch to go to a higher level. There's what's called ritual or ordered. And this is timing the actual appeals to specific times when certain faiths or denominations or religions are having their traditional or legal form of giving at that time. So, for example, you have the zakat for Muslims, the dana for the Hindus, the zakat kadin, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, for Judaism. When they structure and give at certain specific times of the year to give, they'll structure their campaign to hit those individuals or tweak it for that purpose. <clears throat> the next one I like to talk about, neuromarketing. This is relatively new. This is a form of solicitation that induces people to give by giving more psychologically. They're actually giving psycho-suggestive techniques in giving. So let's turn to the next slide. Here's an example of what they do. Have you got that next slide? Here we go. So here's an example. And the idea is that they'll give an example, of, they'll give a picture or a pitch that makes you feel good. They'll play songs, particularly if they're marketing towards a, simp a specific age demographic. They'll play feel-good songs in there. And the idea is to secrete natural oxytocins, because I want to say oxycotton. That's a whole different drug, okay? <laughs> That's not that. Natural oxytocins in the body. And what it does, it provides a state of well-being. Like, look at that, you know, and look at this sweet... Is that, it? Is that somebody in the church I noticed? No, that's not anybody here. Okay. But cats, I'm a dog lover, didn't connect with this, okay? But it just gives you a feel-good feeling. It reduces the inhibitions to resist giving. Going back to the next slide, going to the next slide, carrying on, recognition. You've all seen, how many watch PBS? You know, watching PBS lately? None of you, none of you watch PBS? 
Vienna right now? All creatures great and small? Come on. You people need to be educated, I'll tell you. You've got to class it up. Every once in a while, you notice how they have these campaigns, and for X number of dollars, you get a mug or a DVD. You know, you give, and, oh, sorry, I'm going too fast. That's the last point. This point, sorry, recognition. Okay, let's try this. You ever been to a pool or a park or a wing of a hospital or a library, and you see somebody's name on it? Okay, that's what we're talking about now, okay? That if you, a name on a plaque. And if you give, you're going to be in a club, okay? A photo op in a paper, that's recognition. Now, compensation. You ever seen PBS? Yes, say after me. Yes, okay. Downton Abbey? Praise the Lord, well done, okay. And you notice that they give you prizes for giving, right? Right, yes, okay. Or it can be a ticket to a house. All right, secret auctions. Girl Scout cookies. I crash when I get a knock on the door and there's a sweet little kid. Will you support our school? And they have chocolate covered almonds. <gasps> Bring in the palate. I'm your guy. I just, that's it, you got me, right there. Chocolate covered almonds, oh man, oh man. Compensation, you give, I give you something back in return. And that's the training that goes on with this. One might argue, is that a problem? Eh, you know, look at the good it accomplishes. And I'm going, yeah, you're right, it's good. There's a lot of good that comes from it. Even some ministries I know use and apply some of these techniques. However, as Alan shared about the biblical techniques of money and the biblical techniques of giving, but I'll talk about money issues too in this. When you look at the biblical examples of giving, I see a complete disconnect. First reference, I'll give you some examples. I'm going to take you to the Old Testament. Just follow along with me on the screen. I'm going to reference to Exodus 25. And God spoke to Moses to instruct the Israelites to build or to bring offerings to build the tabernacle. This is like that nomadic tent. And so we read in Exodus 25:1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. And ye shall take my offering. And it carries on to verse 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle. And the pattern of all the instruments thereof. Even so shall ye make. It was a calling for treasures. People had in their possession. Specifically it was probably the spoils of Egypt. You remember when they left Egypt? And the people just say, get out, no more plagues, just go. And they gave them treasures that they have. They were willing to pay them, just get out of here. Well, here's the spoils of Egypt, and it's being used to help supply the needs of the tabernacle. And it was freely given. There was no pressure, there was no, dis I mean, look at the phrase, that giveth it willingly with his heart. The NIV says, as the heart prompted and then we read later on, what was the result? In Exodus 36.3, they received from Moses, the collectors, all the offering the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offering morning after morning. The people responded, they gave to the collectors, and they did so willingly. And then we carry on in the same chapter at Exodus 36, verse 5. And then they said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded them to be done. So much so that they were giving that Moses had to say, please stop. We've got what we need. Then Moses gave an order and they sent his word throughout the camp no man or woman is to make everything else as an offering for the sanctuary and so the people were restrained from giving we got enough can you imagine Wayne saying that I think he would love to say that sort of thing right they were giving and giving and giving further on we have another example 
later on in the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles 29, from 1 to 13. And to put it in context, I'll take you up a little ahead. In 1 Samuel 7, we read that God wants to build, or God wants a temple, but, and David wants to build a temple. David wants to build a temple, a house of worship. No more a nomadic tent. Now a building to house the ark, a structure, a fixed place. God's reply to David is no. And we read in 1 Chronicles 28.3, But God said to me, as David is saying, You are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and you have shed blood. So, since David can't build the temple, he can at least prepare the materials for the building when the time is to come. And we know that it was Solomon who actually built that temple. So what does he do? He starts the process of giving himself. And he goes on 29 verse 3, Moreover, because I have set my affliction to the house of my God, I have of my own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. As you say, he puts his money where his mouth is. In essence, he's fulfilling his heart's desire. His action is his testimony. Then he just does this. We read in verse 5, he says, And who then is willing to consecrate this service this day to the Lord? It's not a choreographed sales pitch. It's not a marketing solicitation. Just one line. And the rest responded, starting at the top. And we read, Then the chief of the fathers and the princes of the tribes and the captains of the thousands and the hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly. Then it gets contagious. It goes viral. Then the people rejoiced for the day they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. Notice how it keeps on saying that phrase, offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced with great joy. And they gave because they recognized this. Verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. When I go to churches and preach about God's principles and finances and proper attitude, first and foremost, attitude number one is, it's all God's. We're just stewards. He gives it to us. We manage it. We don't claim ownership of it. And what we give is not from our own. We're just giving it back. He gives us what we can handle. And God's word just doesn't stop there of giving these examples, but provides further instruction on how to give. In Matthew 6, 3 and 4, we see Christ teaching, but when thou doest alms, that's donation, charity to the poor, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine donations, alms, may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, we read, Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Does anybody remember the book, The Wealthy Barber? Yeah. Remember that? David Chilton, it was like the go-to. When I was a young agent providing financial services and products, it was the go-to. And heaven help you if you bought whole life. Oh, you have lost the faith. Some of you may laugh. You know what I'm talking about because that's what he taught. And then he wrote another book just recently that must have taken him months to ascribe a proper title, and that's The Wealthy Barber, Volume 2. Went way out of his way for that one. The thing is, whether it's volume one or volume two, you will find him say, pay yourself first. Does anybody remember that? Pay yourself first. What does it say behind me? Pay who? God. Bring God the first fruits of your labor. And when God's people give, 
They're willing to give. They're joyful. Not for purpose of promoting themselves or any praise of the good they do. They enact the standard of God's giving. They're always ready to give with joy, not begrudging. There's, a sense of compli- there's no sense of compliance, no guilt association, no conditions, no expectations to get something back done in secret. God's people are giving people. They love to give. They look at their surplus. They look for opportunities to give and ways to do so. And when they godly give, there's no strings attached. There's no instruction to what they give or whom they give to say, now here's how I want you to conduct your ministry or yourself. Because if you do that, if you, if you don't comply with what I want to see how this money's being done, I'm pulling my money out. You don't ever want that on your CV when you stand before God. When we give, hands off. It's God's. Don't go and play, please. This is not you, but I'm just saying this. You don't use your giving as a weapon or as a manipulation to make sure that whatever goes on to where you give, it complies with your ways of how you think things should be done. Please don't do it. There's a problem, whether it's in nonprofits or ministries. Donations, the average donation is increasing, but the number of people that, get, that are giving is, is decreasing. They're finding this out. There was an article in the Financial Post that notes that Canadians are less likely to donate money to charity or less likely to volunteer. And they claim that there's a declining civic engagement in Canada. In other words, people are caring less. This is a report from the Gautam Institute of Prosperity. So whether in church or society, the stats are the same. Those that give are giving more, but there's less and less numbers of giving. Now, why is that so? Well, the obvious is, first and foremost, givers die. Natural. It's the point it wants to give. But you know what? People who would give and have a mindset of giving, they're not only giving while they're living, they give when they're dead. And so what they do is they set up a legacy in their will. That's what we're going to talk about today, what that means and what that's all about. So join us for the Lunch and Learn this afternoon. You're going to learn a lot, trust me. It's going to be cool too, not boring. For others, it's not a regular part of their expenses, of their finances. And when you try to create teach giving on a regular plan basis most will bucket they'll push back don't tell me i got it in here but you know no i'm not going to orchestrate it and the idea of a formal means of giving is repulsive some to some it's a, no i don't do that okay to give on a monthly an annual every paycheck whatever the case may be and then many of our churches don't teach or preach offering Giving, present company excluded, of course. I go to pastors and I say, hey, would you, you know, if you want, I'll, I'll preach on, on, on giving. And some pastors I've had come back to me and say, great, that puts the target off my back. I, didn't say that. I know you didn't say that, Alan. <laughs> this is not a performance evaluation. Okay, yeah, cool, relax. Take a sip of coffee. Then there's the inability to give because it's just tight on the budget. COVID-19, I'm telling you, escalated this to levels we haven't seen. We've got rising inflation. I remember the, I remember my first mortgage back in 1980 was 18.5%. You think you got inflation? Wow. Okay. It was quite something. Fortunately, I bought a house that was like really low, my starter home, and I was able to afford it. Others, they're disabled. Others are unemployed. Then there are those that are saddled with financial bondage in the form of excessive debt. According to, let me talk about that for a moment. According to BDO, BDO Canada, you know, have you ever heard of BDO? It's a financial accounting firm. Check this out. Canadians... 40% of Canadians 
have over $200,000 in debt above their mortgage. The greatest portion of debt to income lies within millennials, the sort of 28, I guess now to 43 bracket. Uh, Gen X's, which is like the 44 to maybe 53 age demographic in that sector. They overspend. And how do they overspend and why do they overspend? And they're finding the reason is, is because of this. By the way, this is my wife. Isn't she pretty? She's gorgeous. I married my hairdresser. Didn't want to have any more haircuts to pay. And, uh, oh, she's gone. I'm sorry. And I didn't tally the fact that I have to put her in her house and buy her purses and shoes and, and food, you know. And so it uh, wasn't a good return on investment, but it is a return on investment. Honey, it's a return on investment. It's good because it's being recorded, okay? And she'll probably watch this. I miss you. All right? Okay, let's go back. Not that you're buying technology, but they're getting online to Facebook and Instagram. What else? Twitter. Twitter. And they're looking and they're seeing their friends have a good time. Look at what they bought. Look at the clothes they're wearing. Look at the dinner they've gone to. And they want to share that they're going to have a good time or just as good a time as them. So what do they do? They go on buy. Actually, you don't have to go to the store anymore. You just go on this. You don't have to move your keister, for heaven's sakes. You just sit down and you go buy, and it'll, they'll even deliver it for you. And they just, boom, snap. They buy stuff and overspend because they don't want to just make it an equal plane. Oh, you had this? Let me just try to match that dollar for dollar. No, 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 no. We got to up the game. We got to outdo that. And so they go and get involved with that. Apparently, the latest statistic is, is that Gen X's and, millennial, uh, and millennials, um, they're on this about three hours a day. And I got a feeling, I don't know, I see people when they're walking in the mall, you know, and, and they're not even looking up, you know. Sometimes I go into the mode of the flesh. And I'll see somebody coming my way, not looking at me. And I know they're going to bang into me. And the spirit side says I should move over. But the flesh side, no, no, no. And they bump him in and go like that. Just to let them know, oh, oh, okay. Kids, I'm sorry, but we people are miserable wretches. Please pray for us. Okay. At least this one. I don't know. I just go into that mode. Sorry about that. Proverbs 21, 17 says, He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. And not to be out... Listen. It ain't just the kids. It ain't just the kids. Here's something you may want to know. The 65 and olders. Us with a holy crown of glory. Still got it. Okay, this isn't colored, it's natural. 65 and over, the, bo the boomers and the civics. Hot off the press last year. Stats Canada says in 2022, the average debt of seniors today is $105,000. Yeah, I see you. The average mortgage is $135,000. When I used to teach this five years ago, the average debt of seniors was $30,000. Look what's happened in four to five years. It's almost over tripled. Now, why do you think that's so? I'm going to throw this out at you because you're an engaging audience. What do you think is the number one reason or one of the main reasons why seniors are ending up in debt? Because I guarantee you, let me give you a hint. They're not going on to Facebook and they're going, oh, look at Myrtle's walker. I got to outdo that. Or Tim's hip replacement. Oh, man. I got to get me one of them. We'll have a cold, we'll, we'll have a titanium. He's got like steel. I'll have a titanium. What do you think is the number one reason why? Beer. What? Beer? Beer? Fear. I thought you said beer. <laughs> okay. That's your world, not mine. Fear of what, Wayne? Nope. No, they don't have no. What? Helping the kids. Praise the Lord. There you go. Every time I ask that question, 
Boom, right there. Kids, are we talking about little Timmy who needs a bicycle and Susie who needs a pr- new, new uh, braces? What kind of kids? Adult kids. What are these adult kids up to? Why are they going to need help? What are they getting themselves into, boys and girls? No. Two reasons. No. Well, they're living at home, but probably for these two reasons. Pardon? They squander their money? No, they don't. <laughs> well, yeah, they do, but they get into a little bit of two cases. Let's carry on here. I don't want to carry this on for too longer. Divorce, failed marriages, and failed businesses. They're getting them out of hock with failed marriages and failed businesses. And just to make sure that you know that it's not the kids that are getting divorced, guess who also is getting divorced? Seniors and civics. Gray divorce, they call it. Can you imagine you put up with each other for 30 years and you figure, well, why not stick it out? No, no, no. They split up. It's sad. And then they realize, oh, I got to split half my stuff with that person. If you're lucky. And I know, you know, maybe there's some here that are going through this, and I'm not trying to pour salt in the wound. Please don't think I'm trying to manipulate or extort that. But that's what's happening today, and they're getting into debt. How many of you have heard of chip mortgages? Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Where they're enticing people. Oh, do you need extra money? Do you need to have a trip? Do you need an emergency? Well, you know what? We're offering to go and put 25 or 50% of your mortgage-free house in a mortgage. So you can take money and you can go and buy stuff or do stuff. And you don't have to pay it back. Well, you, there is a payback. The company goes and just adds the payments on to make it more and more. And when the person dies, they get the house, a good portion of it. That's what's happening today in this world. I'm not saying the credit's bad. No, I'm not. But the first sign of bad credit or first sign of having this bad attitude is if you have credit and it, or debt and it's going up and up and up and you don't have a plan to pay it off, I'll tell you, you got a real problem if you're using the credit card from one to pay for the minimum payment of the other credit card. <laughs> now, you, Houston, you got a problem. And so I teach about that. I teach about that. Is there any examples of how we should give and what we should give? I'm going to refer you to this passage, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 9, King James Version. We start off with this, and it's on the screen. Yes? Yes, it is. God bless you, James, uh, Jonathan. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. What are we talking about here? Are we talking about agriculture? Are we talking about investing? No, because it says in the next verse, every man according as he purposes or proposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, this is Paul's instructions, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remained forever. Notice verse 7. Every man according as he purposes. He supplies not only our needs according to riches and glory, but he also allows that to supply the needs of others according to his riches and glory. And each man should give what they, have, what they have decided in the heart. No different than what we had when it was a calling for the, for the, for the offering for the tabernacle in Exodus. No different when they gave for the temple in, the, in David. I'm going to say something here that might be a little touchy. So I understand you hope this is me speak. Let me set the stage. Baptists historically love to set quotas to define spiritual maturity. We do. We have such a good history that we're better at it now. I remember in the 60s, the standard was to discern spiritual maturity between, especially in teenagers, 
how long is your hair and how short is your skirt? Do you remember that stuff? I remember Alan, because we go back ways, people with their holy tape measure checking out Alan's length of hair. Obviously, he's very spiritually mature today. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. We have a standard that says you're not tithing if you're not giving 10%, because 10% is tithing. You probably heard me say the word tithe in offerings. Now, I'm not suggesting that that is not an admirable, pleasant, godly, let's go for it goal. But I've had people that don't give. And the reason why they don't give is because of financial difficulties or they lost a job or they're disabled or whatever. They can't do it. Right now at that moment, they can't do it. And so they shut down. And they say, what's the point? Implode and give up. And... I'm trying to teach to say, you know what? Start with what you can do. But get going in it. But I can only afford $10. Go for it. Now, don't make that the standard. Oh, $10. Checked off the box. I've given. No, 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 no. That's a start. Because then if you're going, especially if you have financial difficulty, if you're overspent. Work that in with the plan to get out of debt, to go on a cash-only basis. Stop immediately, first of all, spending in debt. Impulse buying is the number one reason for that. There's a definition of impulse buying. It says buying things you don't need with the money you don't have to impress the people you don't necessarily like. And that's generally what we're doing. We're just showing. And oftentimes it's debt. I will tell you, you know what? Here's a little secret. The greatest people that were guilty of this were financial advisors. Because that whole world was, you got to put on a good show. And if you don't, it's like high school cafeteria. You're not the cool kid in the biz. Stop it. Set up a budget. Go and pray and work it. And when this is done, when this is done, and you start sacrificing, and while you're doing, you're giving what you can. And as you start to less and less the debt, and less and less debt means less and less debt payments, guess what? More surplus. And so you start to give more, and you start to give more, and you start to give more. Because when you're doing this, you are actually exercising what I call true financial freedom. You're not accumulating wealth to go and puff up yourself. Your stuff, your, pro, your, your portfolio is not your identity. Christ said, and he's being quoted here in Acts, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when you're doing this, pray. That's the second principle. What was the first principle in God's finances? What, do you remember? What did I say at the beginning was the first principle? It's a little test. You thought I was, yeah, I'm pop-up quiz. What's the first principle I taught you about our relationship with our finances? What? I'm sorry, too much. It, it belongs to God. That's right, I heard you. It belongs to God. Second principle, pray. Pray when you spend. Pray when you buy. Pray when you invest. Pray when you give. Ask God. You got a difficult decision to make in finances? Pray and wait and pray and allow God to lead. Pray where to give. Pray, ask God, God, I want to do this. If you get a tax credit from the government, portion to him. If you get a windfall, a portion to him. Working by stopping and sacrificing self-impulses, that portion can go to him. And notice, he that giveth it willingly with, with his heart. I came from the financial planning world. I came from the world where clients were expected and wanted you to make them rich. When I helped my clients, their, majors, their, their most number one concern was, will I have enough to live off of retirement comfortably? 
And even when they had a sizable amount, will I have enough to live comfortably? Their trust was in their money. Their identity was in their net worth. And that's, listen, that's not just for the unbelievers. It's for the believers as well. I have many believers, not many, but more than I like, let's put it that way, even pastors that were consumed with their finances. And, uh, and that bothered me because, I mean, yeah, it's good to keep in touch. It's good stewardship. But when it's consuming, I'm thinking, dude, that's idolatry. If that goes between you and your God, you've got to watch that world. We're called to be counterculture. We're called to be counterculture. 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We're called to be counterculture in our worship, the way we live day to day, in our marriages, in our relationships, and in our finances. Our identity, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is not our wealth. It's in Christ. I like to call myself a Christian or Christian. Do you understand what I'm saying? I like Christ in my Christianity. And I work very, I pray and work, God, please let you be glorified in what I do. I want Christ in my Christianity. Our wealth belongs to God. It's for his good purpose. Success is not money. I have been in very pretty incredible mansions and yet inside the people were homeless. There was just, it was a showpiece. There was no warmth. It was sad. Success breaks my heart. Get a little emotional about that. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong. If God, if you can be trusted with a large home, with an opulent car or whatever, and it's not your identity, praise God, you know? Praise God. Don't lot it over anybody. Don't lot it over anybody. Success is in righteousness. If your goal is to really seek the treasures of heaven, righteousness, justice, charity, loving your neighbors as Christ loved us, that's heavenly treasures. And for many of us, we consider our wealth to be used for us and for our identity and for our security. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I say this is the lost blessing. Recoup the blessing. Get the blessing back if it's not in your world. Give. Give. So in closing, how am I doing for time? Am I doing okay? Cool. Do you want me to carry on for a little bit longer? Anybody who got pot roasts that are in? No, okay, never mind. I got a feeling, and I've heard from Alan, that there are people in this room that are doing what exactly I've been teaching. And if you are, God bless you. God bless you for your faithfulness. You know what I'm talking about. Carry on and consider and pursue excellence in him in this area. For those of you that can't because maybe you're unemployed or disabled, I understand. I understand. Pray about it. Ask people to pray for you, to help you in that area. If you're unemployed, seek fervently to be employed and ask people to help pray to make that fulfilled. If you're disabled, pray for health. If you cannot give because of that at the present time, you know what? You still can give. You can give of your time and your talents. What does this church need to do that you can do? Hmm? Think about that. In my experience working with generous believers, you experience God's good grace when you give. Francis Schaeffer quotes Victor Hugo. Do you remember Victor Hugo? Anybody know what it means? Who's Victor Hugo? Anybody know? He wrote in Les Mis, right? He said this. I thought this popped up, and I thought, this is pretty interesting. You can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. And we know that because of John 3.16. For God so loved the that he is only begotten son. Well done, class. You experience God's grace. You mirror Christ when you give. You cannot outgive God. I have never met one person that came to me and said, I had to declare bankruptcy because I gave too much to God. Never met him. I've heard other stories. The last slide is God's challenge to us, and it's pretty, like, really strong. But I want you to listen to this. 
He says this, will you, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But how, you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Now, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Do you remember when Christ was tempted by Satan? Thrown a pinnacle, throw yourself off. The angel will carry you off. And what was Christ's response? Thou shalt not test, tempt the Lord thy God. But here he's asking, he's saying, he's challenging. This, you can test me in this, says the Lord. And if I will not see, and, if I, and, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Oh, I get it, Gort. So if I give, I'm expecting so much back. No, this isn't prosperity preaching, folks. I've, I've thought about that in my early days. Well, if I give, I'm going to get a dividend back. No, there's no rate of return on this. Okay? Because there's other blessings. There's joy. And there's peace. And hope. It's really cool to give kids. It really is. It's just a beautiful thing, and it shows the beauty of Christ when we care and when we give because Christ said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this calling God, this challenge to give and to just trust in you. And Lord, for us here today, may this be an encouragement a perspective to be able to go and to just, just show your love, God. We thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, that we can do it. So, Lord, we just leave it in your hands. Orchestrate our steps, God, that step by step you would allow us to fulfill this beautiful blessing, God, more blessed to give than to receive. Amen.